0: So welcome to this podcast on Professor J.R.R. Tolkien and I'd like to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Solopova from Bodley and we're going to be talking today about Tolkien and languages and first of all Elizabeth perhaps you'd like to say a bit about your background and where you work.
1: I specialize in medieval literature. I work at the Department of Special Collections and Western Manuscripts at the Bodleian Library where I do research on medieval manuscripts. I also teach medieval literature and linguistics at Oxford and Cambridge. I published a book on Tolkien and his use of medieval literature in collaboration with Stuart Lee. It is called The Keys to Middle-earth and it was published in 2005. I'm also now working on another book which will be again a discussion or an introduction to the linguistic and literary background of Tolkien's fiction. It focuses on Tolkien's interest in languages and aims to introduce languages and literatures which were important for him as a scholar and a writer, such as Old English, Old Norse, Gothic and Finnish. And in addition to introducing the languages themselves, I will attempt to illustrate how literature in these languages inspired Tolkien's literary, critical, moral and philosophical ideas, particularly his understanding of courage and heroism. The book will also have a discussion of Tolkien's invented languages.
0: You mentioned there throughout that Tolkien was particularly interested in languages, and perhaps we could start with that, and just in case people aren't aware of his background, why was he so interested in languages?
1: Tolkien was interested in languages as a scholar throughout his life. In one of his letters he described himself as primarily a scientific philologist. He wanted to learn languages for the sake of reading literature, but he was also immensely interested in all aspects of the theoretical study of languages. He was interested in phonology, which describes the sound systems of languages in dialectology, which studies regional variation. And as a medievalist, he studied the historical development of languages, particularly English. Much of Tolkien's scholarly work was concerned with highly technical linguistic and philological matters. His probably most influential linguistic study is his article on the language of Wisse*, which means Ankaras’s Guide* in Middle English. This is a book of instruction addressed to three sisters of noble birth, who were anchoresses in the West Midlands in England in the 13th century. Tolkien made a detailed study of its language, which it shares with several other religious works from the same area. He called it the AP language, and this is a term which is still used today. Tolkien demonstrated that this was not simply a local dialect, but a shared written language of a literary community, descended in parts from late literary Old English. Tolkien also apparently could perceive beauty in the very sound and form of words. In his essay, English and Welsh, he gives door as an example of words which sound beautifully, especially if dissociated from their meaning and spelling. Tolkien wrote that beautifully sounding words can give the same pleasure as a beautiful landscape, colour or light. He also remarked that there is a pleasure in the contemplation of how the form of words relates to their sense, He admitted that this pleasure is difficult to explain, but believed that it can be experienced more strongly in the study of foreign languages, partly because of the freshness of the experience and the lack of automation and habit. Tolkien believed, by the way, that this is a great argument for the study of ancient languages, because there this freshness and distance must always remain because our knowledge of ancient languages is always limited. Tolkien also probably saw languages as a powerful and often the only way of getting a glimpse of the human mind in the distant past. I find Tolkien's academic papers, many of which are kept in the Bodleian Library in Oxford where I work, a very inspiring reading. In his lecture notes, he often discusses in detail words in Old and Middle English poems. He is never satisfied with simply translating them into modern English, but attempts to reveal what they can tell us about ancient beliefs, attitudes and perceptions. He does the same in several of his published works, for example in the appendix to his lecture on Beowulf, The Monsters and the Critics. There he observes that little or nothing is preserved in English of pagan belief but then goes on to demonstrate how the spirit of pagan belief survived in words used by the Christian author of Beowulf. Tolkien's analysis in The Monsters and the Critics is largely limited to two words, Old English love, meaning praise, and Old English *dom*, meaning judgment. He discusses their use by the author of Beowulf and other Old English poems, poets to demonstrate how they served to express ideas behind the heroic code and how their meaning was transformed in the Christian culture. Tolkien clearly believed that meticulous study of words was highly rewarding. It seems that for him, it was not only a way to understand a particular text, but also an opportunity to look beyond the text into the world which did not survive. It was a way to glimpse what beliefs myths and poetry were like long before the earliest written records.
0: I see. So it was a recognition of the beauty of the language and how particular words could be attractive as well and what it could give us an insight into in in terms of the past. And at the beginning, um, you mentioned a variety of languages. I mean, what particular ones did actually attract his attention?
1: Tolkien was a professor of Anglo-Saxon in Oxford and specialised in early Germanic languages such as Old English, Old Norse and Gothic. However, he also loved Finnish language and epic poetry. He commented that his story of Turin Turambar, which later developed into the children of Hurin and which he started to write during the First World War, was the very beginning, the germ of his attempts to write language. This story is based on the narrative from the Finnish national epic, the Kalivala. Tolkien also on many occasions wrote about his love of the Welsh language. He remarked that of all languages it was in Welsh that he found particularly many words which gave him aesthetic pleasure both Finnish and Welsh, were an inspiration for his invented languages. Mm-hmm.
0: So he um, not only is he looking at uh, ancient languages, he's also looking at in his own invented languages, and we perhaps can come on to that later. What you've discussed there is, is interesting, going back to the Ancranousa, etc. Perhaps we might begin with English as an influence on Tolkien, and particularly what, what we call, or what is termed, Old and Middle English. And I was wondering if you could just explain to people exactly what Older Middle English is and then perhaps um, give us some examples of how that influenced Tolkien in his fiction and his writing.
1: Old English, also called Anglo-Saxon, was the language spoken in Britain before the Norman Conquest in 1066. And correspondingly, Middle English was the language spoken in Britain in the late Middle Ages from the Norman Conquest and up to the last quarter of the 15th century. As I have already mentioned, Tolkien was an author of important scholarly works on Old and Middle English literature. He also made translations of several 13th and 14th century poems, namely Pearl, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and Sir Ophia. They were all published posthumously by his son Christopher. Some of Tolkien's most widely read works are devoted to an old English poem Beowulf. His lecture, Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics, delivered to the British Academy in 1936, is a most imaginative piece of literary analysis and remains probably the most widely read work of Beowulf criticism. Tolkien adapted plot elements and ideas as well as stylistic elements from Old English and Middle English literature. The Lord of the Rings, for example, includes verse written in close imitation of the meter and style of Old English poetry. For example, the poem commemorating the Battle of the Pelinor Fields, or Where Now the Horse and the Rider, a piece of Rahirim poetry recited by Aragorn, based on the Old English elegy The Wanderer. As is well known, the Rahirim in The Lord of the Rings have many features of idealized Anglo-Saxons. To give just a few examples, the description of King Theoden's Hall includes references to Beowulf, such as an image of the Golden Hall, the light of which shines far over the land. Many features of Bilbo's adventures in The Hobbit are plot elements which also appear in Beowulf, such as his title Thief, the episodes with the stolen cup and the path under the mountain leading to the dragon's lair, as well as Smoke's personality, his rage and the destruction of the nearby town.
0: I see. So we can take it beyond just the language, but the literature plot elements in the things that you would find in Old and Middle English are also influencing some of the scenes that appear in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So so that's Old and Middle English. Thank you very much. Are there any other um, languages, Germanic languages, for example, that Tolkien particularly looked to for inspiration?
1: There is gothic language and Tolkien was fascinated with gothic. Gothic is no longer spoken today and known only from the manuscripts of the 5th and 6th centuries, primarily the fragmentary gothic translation of the Bible. Gothic is a member of the Germanic linguistic group. It was a language of tribes which lived at the beginning of the first millennium in what is the modern day areas of the Ukraine, Moldavia, Romania and Poland. The Goths became Christians in the fourth century. Much of our knowledge about the Goths as a nation comes from the works of the Greek and Roman historians of the first century and later. And the most comprehensive account of the history of the Goths is the Getica of Jordanes. Jordanus was a Christian monk of Gothic descent who wrote the Getica in Constantinople around the year 550. Tolkien was fascinated by Gothic and started to study it at school. He even wrote a poem in Gothic and published it in Songs for the Philologists, a collection that he compiles with E.V. Gordon, his colleague at Leeds University. The poem is called Bagme Bloma," The Flower of the Trees, and it is a short lyric in praise of the birch tree. Tolkien was deeply interested in the Goths and their culture and his works contain references to the Gothic language and history. Perhaps most strikingly, his description of the Battle of the Pelennor Fields in The Lord of the Rings is partly based on the description of the Battle of the Catalonian Fields from the Getica of Giordanus. Jordanes wrote of the death in battle of the Gothic king, Theodoric I, who was thrown from his horse and trampled underfoot by his own men while riding to encourage his army. This is similar to the death of King Theoden in Lord of the Rings, who also encourages his Eorlingas just before he falls and is crushed by his horse, pierced by a black dart.
0: Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure many people have never even heard of the Gothic language. They will have heard of the Goths, but certainly not the Gothic and and the history of, of the Goths that may then have picked up and been influencing Tolkien. I suppose the most popular notions of that period and the early medieval period in particular are the Vikings. And people tend to concentrate them and know about the the sagas of the Vikings. So was that also an area that interested Tolkien and did that in turn influence some of his writing?
1: Yes, very much so. Tolkien was very interested in Old Norse, which is the medieval ancestor of the modern Scandinavian languages. Old Norse was the language of diverse literature, which included all kinds of texts, including legal texts, scholarly works, saints' lives, chronicles, theological treatises, but also poetry and the sagas, which are best known examples of Scandinavian literature. Tolkien started studying Old Norse at school and continued at Oxford University. As is well known as a lecturer at Leeds, he and his colleague E. V. Gordon helped to organize a Viking club for the undergraduates, which met to drink beer and read Old Norse sagas. Later in Oxford, Tolkien founded the Coalbiters, which comprised a group of scholars, who also met to read Icelandic sagas in the original. Scandinavian literature, much of which was written in Iceland, constitutes arguably the most original literary tradition of medieval Europe and its influence on Tolkien was enormous. Among other things, it preserves pagan Jamaic mythology better than any other literary tradition because the Christianization of Iceland was late and relatively peaceful. Christianity was officially adopted in the year 1000 as a result of a compromise between Christians and those who supported pagan religion. As with Old English, Tolkien adopted elements of stories, plots, personal names, and ideas from Scandinavian literature. The story about a hero who kills a dragon using a weak spot found in The Hobbit and the Children of Hurin appears in a Scandinavian poem about the hero Sigurd. It is called The Lay of Fafnir and describes how Sigurd kills the dragon Fafnir by hiding in a pit and stabbing the powerful Fafnir when he was crawling over the pit. Again, Mirkwood, which Bilbo and the dwarves have to cross in The Hobbit, is a mythical forest in Scandinavian tradition which separated the realms of the gods and their enemies, the giants. As is well known, the names of several dwarves in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, including Thorin Oakenshield, Balin, Dwelin, Kylie, Faeli, and others, come from stanzas 9 to 16 of the series' Prophecy, an Old North mythological poem. It contains a story about the creation of the dwarves by the gods and a list of their names, including the ones used by Tolkien. This passage containing the names is known as the Catalogue of the Dwarves, and it is also the source of the name Gandalf, who appears there as one of the dwarves.
0: Thank you, that's interesting. One of the texts you mentioned earlier was the Kalevala, and you referred to the fact that Finnish was also an influence, which I think would come as a surprise to many people because obviously Finnish is is quite an obscure language and many people don't know it and have never learnt it at school. Could you say a bit more about that? Because I think that is something of of interest, that Tolkien found a language which is spoken relatively small in parts of Europe, and what influences that might have had on him.
1: This is absolutely correct. The Finnish language, unlike most other languages spoken in Europe, doesn't belong to the indo european linguistic group and must have looked very exotic to Tolkien, who spent most of his career studying indo european languages, such as Latin, Greek, or Old English. Again, Tolkien started to learn Finnish as an undergraduate at Oxford, but already at school he read the Finnish epic The Kalevala, in an English translation. The Kalevala was first published in 1835 by the Finnish folklorist Elias Lönnrot, with an extended version appearing in 1849. It was a compilation based on recorded Finnish oral folk poetry. The Kalevala is a loosely structured cycle of mythological and heroic tales, as well as lyrical poems, charms, and various lore important for a traditional agricultural society. Tolkien greatly admired it and wished that something similar existed in English. He wrote that for him it opens a new mythological and legendary world, which he found enormously attractive. The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings all have similarities with the Kalevala in plot elements, approach, and features of their setting. Tolkien was particularly attracted to the tragic story of Kulervo, a young man separated from his family and pursued by bad luck and misfortune. Kulervo unknowingly commits incest with his sister and kills himself when this is discovered. Tolkien started to work on a narrative based on this story in 1914. He came back to it several times during his career, producing versions in prose and verse but it was never completed or published in his lifetime. Several versions of the story were published posthumously by Christopher Tolkien as part of the Unfinished Tales, The Silmarillion, and as a separate book, The Children of Hurin, in 2007.
0: Mm, That is interesting. I'd like to move away a bit now from ancient medieval languages which influenced Tolkien because one of the things you do notice when you're reading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and The Silmarillion is this proliferation of other languages which, to put it bluntly, Tolkien made up. I don't know if you had any thoughts about why Tolkien made these things up, why this was of interesting, how he did it.
1: Tolkien's earliest attempts to create a new language go back to the time when he was at school. His interest in inventing languages did not disappear when he became a student in Oxford, but grew together with his linguistic experience. We know that by approximately 1915 he developed a language influenced by Finnish to the extent that it became possible for him to write poems in it. This language later became Quenya, one of his Elvish languages. Tolkien felt that this language needed a history and a mythology, and already then decided that this was the language spoken by the elves who his invented character, the mariner Earendil, saw on his journeys. Tolkien held a belief that there is a connection between languages and myths throughout his career. Tolkien saw the construction of languages as a form of art, similar perhaps to writing poetry. He even invented a new term, art language. His reasons for such work were primarily aesthetic rather than utilitarian. Also, as in the case of Quenya, it was the languages that he worked on first, and the legends were composed later to support them, rather than vice versa. This is very unique, even though Tolkien insisted that the invention of languages is more common than is usually assumed, particularly among children. In most cases, however, when languages are constructed, it is for a practical purpose, such as some kind of communication. This is certainly true of the best-known artificial languages, such as Esperanto, proposed as languages for international communication. Tolkien, however, never attempted to create an artificial language for practical purposes. His concerns were often the opposite of the other creators of such languages. Tolkien never standardized or described his languages in detail to make it possible for others to use them. Simplicity or regularity also didn't seem to have been important for him. His languages, particularly Quenya, tend to be highly inflected. Quenya even has an added complexity of some rather archaic features, such as the dual number. The dual number is when you use a special inflectional ending to say a pair of things, like a pair of books. This existed in many early indo european languages, but generally disappeared in their descendants. Tolkien's European and English-speaking audience would have encountered the dual number only as a disappearing relic in such languages as ancient Greek, Old English, Old Norse, Sanskrit, and similar and presumably this was one of the reasons for its use by Tolkien. Its role may have been stylistic to give Quenya an ancient language in Tolkien's fiction, an archaic feel. On the whole, Tolkien seems to have admired linguistic complexity, whereas most inventors of artificial languages are interested in simplicity for practical reasons.
0: That again is interesting because it it points to this idea about language and mythology in linking the two. And I mean, running throughout obviously the Silmarillion Lord of the Rings, probably the most developed mythology, uh, maybe the Numenorians are uh, what we want to aspect, is the Elvish mythology and the history of the Elves. Let's choose that one because it is a language that many people try to recreate and try to speak. And I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an insight into the background to Elvish and where Tolkien was basing that and why he made certain decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. It is true that Tolkien's most developed languages are the two elvish tongues, Quenye and Sindarin. Tolkien envisaged them as originating from a common proto-language and built similarities into their phonology, vocabulary and grammar. Such similarities can be explained by the common origin of the two languages and their gradual divergence and change through the accumulation of individual features. Many personal and geographical names in the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings are made up of Quenya and Sindarin words. The form of names takes into account the relationship between Quenya and Sindarin and the existence of parallel, similar but not identical Quenya and Sindarin forms. In Tolkien's mythology, Quenya was originally the language of the High Elves of the Eldar who crossed the sea during the First Age and lived in Eldamar. At the time of the War of the Rings, it was no longer learned by birth, but was used for what Tolkien described high matters of lore and song. Examples of Quenya include Galadriel's laments and Aragorn's coronation oath in the Lord of the Rings. As I have already said, quenya is a highly inflected language. Its grammar is more similar to languages such as Latin or modern German than to modern English. For example, whereas modern English noun has two numbers, singular and plural, quenya has four numbers, singular, dual, and two kinds of plural, for different inflectional endings are used to say all leaves and some leaves. Tolkien wrote that Quenya is composed on a Latin basis, with Finnish and Greek as two other main ingredients. There are many similarities between Finnish and Quenya in phonology, though approximately half of the phonological features in Quenya come from other sources than Finnish, such as Germanic and Celtic languages. Another area of similarity is the vocabulary. The Quenya lexicon includes some Finnish words, or words which are modeled on Finnish. Sindarin is another Elvish language in Tolkien's mythology. It was originally the language of the Grey Elves of the Eldar, who lived in Beleriand and remains in Middle-earth during the First, Second and Third Ages. Sindarin is related to Quenya and is the language for daily use of all Elves who appear in the Lord of the Rings. Examples of Sindarin includes the song to Elbereth, which Frodo hears in Rivendell on the eve of the Council of Elrond, and the inscription on the west gate of Moria. Tolkien wrote that he wanted to give Sindarin a linguistic character similar to Welsh, which he found very attractive. And so phonology, spelling, and to some extent the grammar of Sindarin have similarities with Welsh. It also has a number of words which are close or identical to Welsh. You have mentioned this question of being able to speak Tolkien's languages. And so, one final thing which I would like to say is that in one particular sense, Tolkien was right when he wrote about a connection between languages and mythology. He once remarked that languages such as Esperanto are dead, and even deader than ancient languages, because their authors, as Tolkien said, never invented any Esperanto legends. This comment draws attention to important reasons why artificial languages fail, such as the difficulty of development and growth or of expressing identity, which is an important function of language in general, without a society which considers the language its own. The situation is different, however, with Tolkien's invented languages. As you know, there now exists an international community which wants to develop and keep Tolkien's languages alive in spite of their impractical nature. No doubt, to a large extent, because of the legends which he invented for them. This brings us to the question of whether it is possible to speak Tolkien's invented languages. The answer to this has to be no, not in the form in which Tolkien left them. Tolkien never finalized or fully described his languages. Our knowledge of their grammar is fragmentary. The vocabulary of even the most developed languages, Quenya and Sindarin, is tiny compared to the vocabulary of any historical language. There are few examples of texts in Tolkien's invented languages, and very little description published during his lifetime or posthumously. Another problem is that Tolkien never developed a standard form of his languages, and continued to change them throughout his life. Tolkien's languages can of course be standardized and further developed to make it possible to speak them. However, this will result in new forms of language not found anywhere in Tolkien's works. Tolkien's languages can be studied and described by recording what is known about them at different stages of their existence and observing how they changed.
0: Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth, and um, this has been a fascinating study of the influence of a variety of language on Tolkien's fiction, and also an insight into Tolkien's invented languages. And um, you will be bringing out all of this study, one would hope, in a book form at some point. Is that right?
1: I very much hope so.
0: Okay, and what would be the title <laughs> if we're looking for that?
1: The title will be Languages, Myths and History, an Introduction to Linguistic and Literary Background of Tolkien's Fiction.